The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Catherine Cowdery. Stocks are headed for a three-week low as concern about global economic growth sends equities lower around the world. The S&P 500 is down for the fourth time in five days, with industrial shares losing more than 1%. An 18% rally from February lows is faltering. Reports today showed service companies expanded last month at the fastest pace in four months, while fewer jobs were added than projected. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg Radio. Dow Industrial Average is down 130 points, three-quarters of a percent, trading at 17,620. S&P 500 down 16 points, three-quarters of a percent, to 2,400. The Nasdaq is down 45 points, nearly 1% at 47.18. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil down 34 cents a barrel at 43.31. Spot Gold is down $16.80 the ounce at 12.75. And the 10-year Treasury is up 3.30 seconds with a yield of 1.78%. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. What does it take to get four Federal Reserve Bank presidents in one place on one day to debate a very contentious, very hot topic in monetary policy? Well, if your name is John Taylor and you have a rule named after you, the Taylor Rule, and if you are holding a monetary policy conference for the third year in a row, that's what you can get. John Taylor is with us here at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. John, of course, the George P. Schultz Senior Fellow in Economics at Hoover. He's the Mary and Robert Raymond Professor of Econ at Stanford University and so much more. And this year, the conference is entitled International Monetary Stability, Past, Present, and Future. So, John, thank you for inviting me back to the conference. It's great to be here. Glad you could get Come, glad you could be here. And I wanted to have you on the show today. The conference officially kicks off tomorrow, but I wanted to get you on the show today so we could really take our time to put the issues on the table so our listeners will be all ready for tomorrow. So the monetary policy rule uh, that you have, the Taylor rule, in essence takes a look at unemployment and inflation, a couple of coefficients, right. and then says what what a, what a central bank should do. You say we're not even – we're not – exactly applying it in the United States, but you say it's really important now to apply that rule overseas. For starters, what's the rule? Why is it so important? Well, when uh, when the Fed and other central banks came close to using this type of rule or procedure, things worked really well. They moved the interest rate around in a pretty predictable way, and the economy was good. It was, it's a good time. And what other central banks did the same thing. So there's a lot of evidence, both in economics and in experience, that this kind of thing works. And recently, central banks have gone different directions. And in some sense, that's the purpose of our conferences, to say why is there so much difference? And the exchange rates are moving and capital flows are moving. And that's the instability that we're concerned about. And the thought is if central banks, in a sense, got back to a more normal approach, which is a policy rule approach, that they could eliminate a lot of this instability. John Taylor. 
I don't know whether you're familiar with uh, Bill Maher, the television interviewer, but he has a segment where he says new rules. And I'm wondering if you could talk about new rules-based systems or a new rules-based world economy. Tell us about how a rules-based system would work. Well, what we've seen with experience is when central banks have more predictable policies, so people know what they're doing when they're moving the interest rate around, which is what they usually do, that it provides more stability. And so rules-based means you kind of know what's up, what the government's up to, what the central banks are up to, and they around the world know what each other is up to. So it provides a real sort of sense of guidance and stability. It's kind of natural. You know what your counterparts are doing in other parts of the world. We've seen, we've seen it work in other areas of international policy, trade policy, rules-based tra- strategies have been out there a long time. And experienced people, people like Paul Volcker who used to run the Fed, people like George Schultz, who many cabinet posts, recognize this importance of a strategy and have been advocating that we move back to this kind of thing. It's really not so new. The world is different, but it's, it's something that's worked in the past and it will work again. Well, is there really a rules for all season, though, John? It is, doesn't discretion have a, a, a role? Because to a certain extent, the Fed's always said inflation rises, raise rates. You know, right. job, you know, job market gets too tight. Go in and start head toward recession, you cut rates. And there's a certain there, then there's some discretion based around your evaluation of those numbers and what they're what the trends are and where they're going. Well, the advantage of a rule or procedure is you you know when they're going to do it and by how much, and it's not just. Uh, winging it and saying we're going to move by this amount when we think we will and, and get off of it. So there's quite a bit of difference. And, and of course, in any situation, you need to have some discretion. All the proposals that uh, I've certainly worked on that are being proposed now allow for some discretion in a case of emergency, in case of a panic. Of course, you have to have that. But that doesn't mean you do it all the time. That doesn't mean you don't have a system or a strategy in place, again, so people know what you're up to. Interest rates. Are interest rates too low? Yes, I think they are at this point. There's been a real effort to try to raise them in the U.S. Uh, last year they took a stab at in December. They seem to be backing off at this point. They've been near zero for a long, long time. Other central banks have followed the Fed down, quite frankly, and it's become more of a global thing. So a good fraction of the central banks in the world have rates which are near zero or even slightly less than zero. Very unusual situation. And I think that's part of the sense in which it's, un- it's, it's unusual and therefore not rule-like. So the idea, and that's what we'll be discussing at this conference with real practitioners and real people who have been working at this for many, many years, to see why are we in this unusual situation. Some people think it's just right. I don't. But I think we're going to explore that and, I, I believe, see that there's an advantage of normalizing rates at this point in time. If you're a country like Japan, which has had uh, deflation, Europe's whiffs of deflation, are negative interest rates consistent with the Taylor Rule? Well, at this point, Japan's situation, they've tried everything they could. They have had a new central bank with a gigantic amount of quantitative easing. That means purchases of security. So it's it's much more than the zero or negative rates, and, and it really hasn't worked. I think that's the concern. These policies don't seem to be working, and they basically change the exchange rates. They make a big difference on that, and that's that's what really the attention is at this point. These exchange rates moving around and capital flows moving around, and they're really not helping the Japanese economy. If anything, they're going the wrong way. 
We're going to continue the conversation with John Taylor. He is a professor of economics at Stanford University, senior fellow in economics at the Hoover Institution. You're listening to Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox, my co-host Kathleen Hayes, and this is Bloomberg Radio. Coming up on Taking Stock, Roger McNamee, founding partner of the venture capital firm Elevation Partners on Facebook, Apple, and Cannabis. That's next. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Taking Stock. I'm Kathleen Hayes at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, along with Pim Fox at Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York City. But a lot of Global market instability, a lot of economists, a lot of economies having trouble. Could it have something to do with a monetary policy situation that could use some more rule-based procedures? We're going to look at the international aspect of John Taylor's rule pin with John Taylor of the Hoover Institution. And we'll also be talking about Donald Trump, who seems to be taking over the Republican nomination for president. That'll be coming up with Mark Halpern, John Heilman of With All Due Respect. Right now, with all due respect, let's go to Catherine Cowdery in the Bloomberg Newsroom. Thank you, Pim. Well, stocks are declining. Mixed economic reports are weighing on the market. One report showed service companies expanded in April at the fastest pace in four months. Another from the payrolls processor ADP showed companies hired fewer workers in April than estimated. Peter Dixon, global equities economist at Commerce Bank, told Bloomberg Radio that investors are not getting much direction from economic data. They're not really getting an awful lot of steer from central banks either. Um, I mean, I think there was a sense out there that central banks to throw in the kitchen sink at uh, the problem. We're not seeing any real signs of uh, significant recovery. Uh, and I think as a consequence, investors just feel a little bit jittery right now. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. Dow Industrial Average is currently down 100.6 of a percent, trading at 17,650. The S&P 500 down 12.6 of a percent, trading at 2,050. The Nasdaq is down 36.3 quarters of a percent, trading at 47.27. West Texas. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil is up 26 cents a barrel at 43.92. Spot Gold down $16.70 a ounce at 12.75.10. And the 10-year Treasury is up 132nd with a yield of 1.79%. Among today's top business stories, the trade deficit fell in March to the lowest level in 16 months. Imports plunged by the largest amount since the depths of the recession seven years ago. The trade deficit narrowed to $40.4 billion in March. That's a drop of 13.9% from February. It was a small trade gap since November 2014. And now let's get an update of some of the other stories we're following today. Thank you, Catherine. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Ramey in Asensio. John Kasich, last man standing in Donald Trump's path to the Republican nomination, will end his campaign later today, making Trump the party's presumptive nominee. Two people close to the campaign tell Bloomberg News the Ohio governor will suspend his campaign in a speech at 5 p.m. Eastern time in Columbus, Ohio. Despite his inability to win any contest beyond his state, Kasich held on to becoming the last candidate battling Trump, if only for a few hours, since Ted Cruz dropped out last night. 
As the presumptive nominee, Trump is now looking toward the general election and thinking about a running mate. Trump tells ABC News his pick for VP will be someone with political experience. I would like to have somebody that could truly be good with respect to dealing with the Senate, dealing with Congress, getting legislation passed, uh, working toward uh, something where we're not signing executive orders every three days like President Obama does. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders says the race is not over after beating Hillary Clinton in Indiana yesterday. Defense Secretary Ash Carter is warning the war against Islamic State is, quote, far from over. Carter said the death of a Navy SEAL in Iraq at the hands of extremists is evidence of the fight that remains. These risks will continue, and we greatly regret his loss. Carter spoke today in Stuttgart, Germany. And Governor Andrew Cuomo says, quote, justice was served in the Sheldon Silver case, and the former Assembly Speaker's 12-year sentence sends a message to officials who abuse the public's trust. Silver was convicted in a $5 million corruption case. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Ramey in Asensio. Catherine. Thank you. And now let's get a quick update of the equity benchmarks. Dow Industrial Average is down 101 points at 17,650. S&P 500 down 12 points to 2,051. The Nasdaq is down 36 points at 47.27. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock, the Fed in Focus on Bloomberg Radio. The Fed in Focus is brought to you by Willoughby's. Since 1898, New York City's boutique camera store for precision-crafted Hasselblad and Leica cameras, plus a full selection of GoPro action adventure cameras, Willoughby's, corner of 5th Avenue and 31st Street. You're listening to Taking Stock. I'm Pim Fox. My co-host, Kathleen Hayes. Joining us now is John Taylor for a continuing conversation about economics. He's a professor of economics at Stanford University. He's also a senior fellow in economics at the Hoover Institution. Professor Taylor, uh, denying that something is true just because it suits your fancy doesn't make it any less true. And what I mean by that is if... You ask a child if something happens in another part of the country and will it affect them, many of them understand, yes, it will. Global warming, various types of things. Why are economists seemingly immune to this connection? Well, I don't... Or Fed Fed officials, I guess I should say, more specifically. Well, I think, you know, quite candidly, a lot of Fed officials think too much about what's happening all over the place. It may be just the opposite of what you're saying. It's, there's a sense in which if they react to every little wiggle and every little movement all around the world, they're going to be doing too many things. So the trick is to find the big things that are really moving the economy or require some response. And, and that does take judgment, but it also takes experience. That's why I think these rules or strategies which say which is the things you're going to react to and which are not is so important. So let's take a look at a couple of papers that are coming up at the conference tomorrow, John, particularly for our listeners who are Fed nerds like us and really want to dive into these, which will be uh, accessible as well. Um, The Fed often says when it comes to its moves that, sure, it could impact emerging markets, but I I remember a very extensive analysis the Fed had a couple years ago about, oh, there were all these other things emerging markets were reacting to when they sold off. Not Fed moves, right? right? But Sebastian Edwards, a Chilean economist, has done a paper which suggests that the, there's direct links and direct impact of the Fed's moves on the rest of the world. Yes, uh, he's one of the 
people giving papers at this conference, which he studied carefully and saw these impacts in Latin American countries, but you can see them in other countries as well. So it's there. And, you know, you, you think that there's reasons the exchange rates could move, interest rates could move, and the U.S. is a powerful Federal Reserve, has a powerful Federal Reserve, so it's going to have these impacts. So the question is, how do we deal with that? And that why, that's why I think you need to have some sense of cooperation or some sense of global aspects of this. One of the most outspoken central bankers in the world these days is the central banker who runs India, uh, Raghu Rajan, and he can see some of these impacts on his own country. So I think it's important for the world to take these into account. Does the world pay too much attention to the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve is, is the most significant central bank. The dollar is the most significant currency, so they have to pay attention to the Federal Reserve. I think what we need to do is find a way for the central bank of the United States, the Fed, to integrate its policy and think more about its impact on the world because the world does feedback on the United States. Even if you're just concerned about the United States, if you're mandated to be concerned about U.S. inflation and uh, unemployment, you got to think about the impacts on the rest of the world because it can come back and hurt you. So the Fed as a superpower that maybe has gotten too powerful, that's also being addressed at the conference tomorrow, John? Yeah, one of the interesting papers uh, David Beckworth is giving is about the Fed as a superpower. That reflects the reality that the Federal Reserve is a, is a powerful central bank, and superpower is maybe one way to underline that. But you need to take that into account, and the dollar, its role of the dollar is important. It's not disappearing. There's lots of people talking about the Chinese currency is going to be more important, but it's still the dollar, and we need to think about how to make that work. How would you... Uh, debate or how would you push forward the idea of interest rate increases to the Federal Reserve uh, bank presidents that vote against them? How would you convince them? Well, the main thing is in the past when we've had policies with higher interest rates in these circumstances, things have worked much better. And there are colleagues of those people at the Fed who think exactly the same. They've seen history and they can see it works. Economics is a confusing science for lots of people, so there's different viewpoints. That's the way it is. So you've got to persuade, you've got to talk. And, you know, there are times where policy is not great. You've got to find a way to get back to good policy. It'll be better for the economy. John, what would you change about the Federal Reserve? Peter Fisher, who was the head of the markets desk at the New York Fed, uh, gave a talk just a few days ago saying that the size of the FOMC, the Board of Governors plus the Fed Bank President, should be cut back. I think he wants to get rid of the board, have fewer Fed Bank Presidents to have more transparency. Do you think it's a good idea? Well, you know, just a step back. There's an enormous number of proposals put out there right now, and Peter's is one of them. I think it's, it's worth thinking about. And that reflects the fact that policy is not working so well, and there's some problems. And there's legislation in Congress to actually make some changes. I think some of that legislation is promising, maybe more promising than what uh, Peter's referring to, but we do discuss it. And that really requires the Fed to simply report its strategy, to simply say what they're doing as clearly as they can. I think that would be a huge improvement. John Taylor, thank you so very much. Joining us here at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University on the eve of his third annual monetary policy conference. This year, it's international monetary stability, past, present, and future. We'll be speaking a lot more about the conference today and tomorrow. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio.
The Fed Hour on Taking Stock is brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.